I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a few places. Um, The nature of uh, the sermon uh, this morning is going to require us to look at um, at least four passages in Scripture as we think about some really significant questions uh, that we might have asked and people have certainly asked regarding baptism. The Bible in certain places speaks very strongly where it says, for example, in 1 Peter, that baptism saves you. And we might say that sounds kind of odd to Protestant ears. In what sense does baptism save us? So it's one question that's worth asking and one we're going to try answering in the short time that we have. Uh, But the second question also is, should our children be baptized? So again, two very easy, obviously being uh, a little bit facetious there, uh, but two important questions, at least for us to answer. Does baptism save should our children be baptized? And so we'll look at those uh, together. So the first passage that we're going to look at is First uh, Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, where the Apostle Peter says to us that baptism saves us. And so we'll look at some of the context there. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 22. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it's on page 1016. So Peter says, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as, an, as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. We're going to turn now to Colossians chapter 2. Turn back a little bit in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And this passage is one of a few that we're going to look at later in answer of the second question. Um, should our children be baptized? And here we find the Apostle Paul drawing a parallel between circumcision as the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament and baptism as a sign of the covenant in the New Testament. And the point to highlight up front here, and just keep in mind as you read it, is that both circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament signify and seal the same reality. Baptism in the New Testament, just like circumcision in the Old Testament, signify and seal the death of Jesus Christ. They both point to the same reality, which helps us to see a line of continuity between the Old Testament and uh, the New, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So Colossians uh, chapter 2, we'll read verses 11 and 12, just a couple verses here. Verse 11, in him that is in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I'll end our reading there. One more place I ask you to turn is in the back of your hymnals uh, to Lord's Day 27 of the Catechism, Lord's Day 27. 
And this is on page 884. There's three questions here, and um, I'll read the questions and we'll respond together with the answers. So question 72. Does this outward washing, speaking of baptism, with water itself wash away sins? No. Only Jesus Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Question 73. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth, that's from Titus 3, and the washing away of sins from Paul's speech in Acts? Answer. God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. But more importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Question 74. Should infants also be baptized? Yes. Infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people, and they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. So far from the catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the second Lord's Day that we've considered baptism. And last week, we had considered baptism more in a positive sense in terms of what does baptism teach us? What is baptism? And the main note that the catechism struck, which is the note of scripture, is that baptism primarily has to do with signifying and sealing to us the washing that we receive in Christ. That baptism is something that's personal, right? We don't baptize a a congregation corporately, but we baptize individuals into the corporate body, into the church. And so individually, Christ is one who comes and washes us, which is signified in baptism. Now, of course, this washing is not simply a washing of our bodies. Otherwise, um, you know, you could be baptized taking a shower, right? But rather, baptism um, signifies and seals to us a spiritual washing. That Christ washes us with his blood and his spirit, right? It's deeply personal. Christ comes just as he came to his disciples and washed their feet. So he stoops down and condescends to each of his brothers in Christ, right? Each of those whom he has brought to himself. And he washes us and he washes you with his blood that we might be forgiven of all of our sins. And he washes us with his spirit that we might be renewed to newness of life that we might live for God and no longer uh, be mastered by sin, but live for the glory of God, right? This is what Christ does spiritually. And baptism, as a visible sign, itself doesn't cleanse us, but it signifies as a sign, right? It points to, and it seals as a promise from God, that spiritual reality that Christ washes us with his blood for our justification, with his spirit, that we might be sanctified and ultimately glorified. All right, so that's what baptism is that we looked at last week. You can go back if you want more of the details on those points. But this week, right, as we have another Lord's Day, just speaking about baptism, 
uh, the Catechism wants to, in some sense, answer a, f- a few objections that could be raised, or really just questions that might be raised regarding baptism, right? If baptism is a means of grace, as we're talking about it, and not just a declaration, right? I think the common view of baptism is that it is my declaration, something that I do before God. But really, or as baptism, we see it in Scripture, something that God does, right? It's God who signifies. It's God who seals. Um, it's God who gives us these things. It's Christ who washes, right? Baptism is primarily and first and foremost about what God does, not merely a declaration. And so we speak about it as a means of grace. It makes visible God's word. It makes visible the gospel. And it's for our assurance that we might have certainty That just as surely as the water has touched my skin, so surely has Christ washed me with his blood and with his spirit. And so, um, this raises some questions then, right? If it's more than just a mere declaration that we make, if it's more than just a statement to God and the world, it certainly is partly that, but if it's more than that, well then various questions come about, right? If something is really happening in baptism, which God is doing something, Well, then we have various questions. And the first question then to think about is, does baptism, or as we think about baptism, does baptism save us? And we've been talking about this already. And does the washing of water and the water itself cleanse us and wash away our sins? All right, this is what's dealt with in questions 72 and 73 of the Catechism, right? It asks the question, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? And the answer is, of course, no, as you've been talking about, right? Only Christ and his blood and his spirit can cleanse us from all sins, right? It's a spiritual reality that the water, the visible water, is pointing to. And so the question, the follow-up question to that then is, as 73 says, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth, and the washing away of sins. And this language here that the Catechism uses is language drawn from the Scriptures themselves. For example, when it says that baptism as the water of rebirth, that language is used in Titus chapter 3. So if you turn there with me to Titus, it would be helpful to see this for yourself. If you're using a Bible here, it's on page 998. So Titus 3, and just beginning at verse 4, notice what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, right, previously dead in our sins, previously following the passions of our flesh, enslaved to them, right, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared in salvation and conversion, Verse 5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have a ton of time uh, to look at all these as in-depth as we might like, and so if you have further questions, of course, uh, ask me afterwards. But the first thing to notice is that these two phrases at the end of verse 5, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, yes, they're distinct, but they're, they're brought in a very close, close relationship here. Uh, you can't have one without the other. 
And so when Paul's speaking about here the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, um, he's, he's bringing those two ideas uh, together. But why then, when as the Catechism understands this passage to be referring to baptism, how then can Paul be referring to the washing of regeneration as referring to baptism? Well, Paul is using sacramental language. Right? We've spoken about we have the visible sign, and we have the spiritual reality. Now, it's not ourselves who connect the two. We don't propose water. We don't propose baptism and say, you know, can this now start to signify? It's not the church who establishes the connection between the water that's visible and the spiritual uh, reality that's uh, invisible, but rather it's God himself. And those two realities have been brought so closely together that Paul here can speak of the washing of regeneration. Now, of course, what he's not saying here in light of what he said elsewhere is not that merely the water itself, but again, the spiritual reality that the water is signifying and pointing to. Baptism is certainly, as Paul's saying here, a means of grace, right? It's more than a mere declaration. It's a means of grace that signifies and seals to us regeneration, the new birth, being washed and now made new in Christ. And so, for example, if I can read uh, how Calvin understands this, he says that baptism seals to us the salvation obtained by Christ. Gerhardus Voss goes on to say that the apostle says, speaking of the apostle Paul, that God has saved us through baptism since in sacramental phraseology, so using uh, sacramental language here, The thing signified, the spiritual reality, can be expressed by the sign itself. So Paul's never, you know, bringing in the whole context of Paul's thought, it's never that baptism alone saves, but it's the reality that baptism points to, and that must be received by faith. That must be received by faith. And this is, again, what we've been talking about before. Baptism signifies the washing that Christ does to us with his Spirit that we might be renewed, and we might be cleansed. And therefore, when Paul speaks of this language, uh, he has that concept, that language in mind, that the sign and the things signified are so closely brought together by God that Paul can use such language to refer to baptism as the washing of regeneration. So hopefully that's somewhat clear. Uh, but let's look at a few other passages as well. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 22. Verse, uh, verse 16 is the main one, but we'll begin reading at verse 12. It's on page 931 if you're looking for it. So verse 12 says that, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by, by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. To see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Again, this is the language that the catechism is reflecting here. 
How can Paul be instructed, though at the time he's called Saul, but how could he be instructed to be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? Well, again, the same idea that we saw in Titus is present here as well. Baptism as a sign is so closely tied to the thing it signifies that Paul could say that baptism is a washing away of our sins. Again, not that the water itself can wash away because sins are themselves not physical. We can't simply wash it away with physical water. But rather, when Paul speaks, says, rise, be baptized, or is told to rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, again, that baptism, which is visible, is signifying that spiritual reality that is received by faith, namely the washing away of our sins by the blood of Christ. And you see this further because Paul, Paul is, it's clarified where it says, wash away your sins, and you get a participle, a little grammatical language. The verb is, is modifying, the verb is, is, is giving us further thought on the call to wash away your sins, right? So wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's, it's not baptism irrespective of Christ. It's not baptism um, away from Christ. But again, that personal element of calling upon the name of Christ, being brought into union and fellowship with him, and that is only by faith. And so baptism then um, can be spoken of as a washing away of our sins insofar as it points to and is so closely tied to that spiritual reality of our union with Christ of Christ in us, us in him, by his spirit, and that in him we receive his blood by which he cleanses us and washes away all of our sins, right? It's sacramental language that we find here. One more passage is the one we read previously, First uh, Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. So here in 1 Peter, it's on page 1015, um, the, uh, the Apostle Peter um, draws this parallel between Noah being saved with his family, with his household, uh, through the flood, and baptism, which he says now corresponds to this. Right? He says in verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. But again, when he says this, uses this language, He doesn't have in mind merely the external sign, but he always has it, just like the Apostle Paul, always has it so closely connected to the spiritual spiritual reality that it signifies, right? Because he says even further, verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, and he clarifies, not as a removal of dirt from the body, right? Not as a mere washing of our physical bodies, Right? It's pointing to something spiritual. It's pointing to something that is unseen. But as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Why talk about resurrection? Why talk about a new conscience? Right? Well, this is the new life, the rebirth. This is the washing of regeneration that Titus, uh, that Paul talk, talked about in Titus. Again, it's signifying this spiritual reality. Right, so these are, you know, the question then becomes, right, if we look at these passages, and we looked at them very, very briefly, I know there's much more that could be said about them, but we, we might ask the question, why then does the Bible use such strong language regarding baptism? Right, it's not en- enough just to clarify what it's saying. Right? Why does the Bible use such strong language? And I think the catechism is very helpful for us, right? 
There's two reasons. First, God uses this language, the washing of rebirth, the washing away of our sins, baptism now saves you. He uses that language because he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins just as water removes dirt from the body. It's a matter of teaching us these things. It's a matter of us knowing and learning these things. And so when, when you think about your baptism, or when you reflect on the fact that you have been baptized, and if you haven't, then we look forward to speaking with you, and we look forward uh, to you professing your faith and coming uh, to know Christ in this way. But if you have been baptized, part of, the, part of this language that Scripture gives you to understand your baptism is that you might know, you might have knowledge of the fact that as the water washes away the, uh, the, the dirt off of your body, you might know that Christ has cleansed you by his blood and his spirit. He's washed away our sins. Right? Paul doesn't want to use, and Peter doesn't want to use language that would detract from that awesome reality. That awesome reality that, that our sins have truly been washed by the blood and the spirit of Christ. And so it's to teach us, right? It's so that we might know these things. And also, secondly, as the catechism says, that we might have assurance of these things as well. Right? The catechism says, but more importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Again, why does the Bible speak of the sign and the things signified so closely, so tightly, that, Paul, that Peter can say as in a qualified sense that baptism saves us? Because he wants us to have assurance It's God who has given us these signs. Again, they're not man-made. They're not man-instituted. They're not church-instituted. They're Christ-instituted. And he gave them for us, not because his word is insufficient, but as we've been talking about many times already, probably the last two catechism sermons on this, we've been mentioning that the, the sacraments are given to us, instituted by Christ, not because his word is insufficient, but for our weakness. We can be prone to doubt We could be prone to forget what God has spoken to us in his word, but the sacraments make that word visible. It takes things that I cannot touch and see and feel with my hands and makes them visible for me. I can't, as we said before, I can't grab hold of and tie a rope around the forgiveness of my sins. I know that they've been removed from me as far as the east is from the west, but I, I can't, I don't have a picture of that, right? Nobody took a, painted a portrait of my sins being removed from me as far as the east is from the west. Maybe symbolically you can picture it, right? But, but the, the actual reality of it, you can't physically see. Or that my sins have been thrown into the depths of the sea, never to surface again, right? Beautiful language, but I've never seen my sins actually have a millstone put around them and thrown into the sea. But I have seen the waters of baptism, and, and I've seen those waters, and as surely as water is wet, and as surely as that water touches the forehead of somebody, or if they're immersed, we're, we're fine with different modes, um, as surely as that water has touched them, so they can have assurance that by believing in Jesus Christ, they have received the washing away of their sins, that their sins truly are removed from as far as the east is from the west, their sins truly have been cast into the depths of the sea. Right, so God gives us these things for our assurance. They are a divine pledge. 
Right? God has given a divine pledge to you that your sins are forgiven. He has given a divine pledge to you that, that you have been renewed by the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, when we remember our baptism, right, the thing we need to be constantly doing, we remember the fact, we remember this spiritual reality. We remember what Christ has done, and we're assured of it. And so, as we said last week, right, in times of temptation, remember you've been baptized. You've died to sin. You're alive to Christ and, and to serve him. Remember that. Or in times of doubt, and does God truly love me? Have I fallen so short of his glory that, that, that I, I really should just give up? Remember your baptism. It's a divine pledge and sign that you belong and that Christ has truly cleansed you of all your sin. I realize I spent way too much time on this first question, uh, so we're actually not going to get to the second question, which maybe is more interest to a number of people. But let me just say one thing regarding our second question. Right? So we were talking about the first question, does baptism save you? Second question, should infants be baptized? And the simple answer, of course, is yes. Again, baptism, you might often be objected to this, saying, well, they're not conscious of what they're doing. Well, were you conscious when God saved you, spiritually dead in your sins? Were you spiritually conscious when that happened? No, you were spiritually dead. That's the confession in Ephesians 2, right? And therefore, what baptism is as a sign and pledge that God gives to his people, all those who are his people are to receive that sign. That's why the, the children in the Old Testament were circumcised. They belonged to the people of God. And within that covenant community, didn't remove responsibility from them, but it called them to faith and repentance, right? Think of Achan in Joshua. Right? Achan received the sign of the covenant. He received circumcision. But he proved himself not a covenant keeper, but a covenant breaker. And therefore he was cast out of, or there's a responsibility. So that even though we baptize our children, and in that baptism the promise of Christ is signified and sealed to them, we still call them to faith and repentance. We still call them to believe that promise that God has given to them. Again, baptism is not first and foremost what we do, but what God does. And so in our form of profession of faith that we look forward to our children that have been baptized to one day say yes to and, and, and wholeheartedly say yes to, one thing that they will be asked is, do you openly accept God's covenant promise, which has been signified and sealed to you in your baptism? Right? The children of this congregation, if you can understand what I'm saying, you will be asked this question. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ, do you openly accept God's covenant promise which has been signified and sealed to you in your baptism? We wholeheartedly look forward to the day when our children will say yes. We look forward to that day. And we then as, as parents have a responsibility to raise our children to, that they might hear the gospel, know the gospel, they might, they might come to Christ Parents have this responsibility, as again, to just draw from our form of profession, or rather our baptism form, for infant baptism. Parents will be asked these three questions. Again, doesn't remove responsibility. You'll be asked these three questions. Do you acknowledge, these are for the parents, that our children who are conceived and born in sin are subject to the misery that sin brings, even the condemnation of God, 
are sanctified in Christ, and so as members of his church ought to be baptized. Right? It's not to say that our children don't have sin or their original sin is washed away. They still need their sins washed away by Christ, promised to them in baptism, received by them in faith. Second question they'll be asked, do you acknowledge that the teaching of the Old and New Testament summarized in the articles of the Christian faith and taught in this Christian church is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And thirdly, do you sincerely promise to do all that you can to teach this child and to have him or her taught this doctrine of salvation, right? Parents have a responsibility to do all that they can to teach their children as members of the covenant. And not only parents have a responsibility, and not only the children have a responsibility, but also all of us as a church have a responsibility towards our children who are baptized. The question is then asked to the whole congregation, do you, the people of the Lord, promise to receive this child in love, pray for him or her, are you doing that for our children? I know I can do better at that, if I could be honest. Right? This, is a, this is something that we've promised to do. So be mindful of that, right? Do you, the people of the Lord, promise to receive this child in love, pray for him or her, help care for his or her instruction in the faith, and encourage and sustain him or her in the fellowship of believers, right? It's a mighty responsibility that we have towards the children of this congregation. And so I might ask, are we doing this? Are you doing this? And how might we be better at doing this as well? We have a responsibility to all the covenant members, especially our children, that they might know the Lord and that they might um, walk in his statutes and in his ways. So that's a very simple uh, overview of infant baptism. Uh, we did not get a chance to fully look at Colossians chapter 2 and a number of other passages um, which are mentioned for us in uh, the catechism answer. But the final thing I would say regarding this is that uh, just as we see signs of children uh, circumcised in the Old Testament, so too no command has been given that would remove them from the covenant. They remain in God's covenant called to faith and repentance with their parent and with the church caring for them and loving them, that they might say that I openly accept the promise of God signified and sealed to me in my baptism. And that in the New Testament, we find no example of that or no statement of that being removed. But we also find not a single example in the New Testament of that even changing. The only examples we find in the book of Acts are those who are outside of the covenant being brought in. There's not a single example in the Bible of somebody who was born to believing parents being baptized as an adult. There's not a single example of that in the Bible. What we find are those outside of the covenant as adults being brought in. And so the, the argument from, from um, silence is certainly not there because the argument... Uh, for baptizing adult believers who are born in the covenant is also not there explicitly in the text. Not a single example of somebody born to believing parents being baptized as an adult. They were received into the covenant, and which is why we see household language all throughout Acts, right? Households were baptized. It's organic family language that, carries, that corresponds and parallels the way in which the church is built. And one last thing, I remember somebody had asked me this last week in our new members class and saying, well, you know, is that not fair? You know, what, what, that, that somebody's born to believing parents? Well, 
In the same way, we, it's the Lord's sovereignty and it's the Lord's uh, purposes that are accomplished here. You didn't choose your parents. You weren't conscious prior to your birth to say, well, let me be born to the, this family in, in this area with these people, right? In the same way, we are born again. Uh, and it's a work of God as he brings about and builds his church through covenant children being born to that church. And within that church, those children are nourished to openly accept promise of God signified and sealed to them in their baptism. And so as we think about these things next week, we move on to the Lord's Supper. Uh, But don't forget your baptism, but remember your baptism and remember your responsibility to those who have been baptized and to the children of this congregation, that we might love them, care for them, pray for them, encourage them in the truth. Amen. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you Uh, for uh, the way you treat us, um, not as our sins deserve, but you've treated us so graciously, so kindly, so patiently in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that this waters of baptism signify and seal that this spiritual reality, that as you've given us your Son, his blood, his Spirit, to wash us and cleanse us from all of our sins. So, Father, as as we think upon our own baptism, may we be uh, may, we, may we know and may we be assured that tr- as truly as the water has touched our heads, so truly we have been washed and cleansed of all of our sins in Christ. Help us to remember that we belong to him, body and soul, and life and in death, and that this is a sure promise and a sure and divine pledge from you. And Father, help us, Lord, to, to uh, be those who love and care for and nourish and nurture the children of this congregation that we might speak words of life and truth to them, pointing them to Christ, and that they might hear the gospel more and more, over and over, and that they too might openly accept the promises sealed to them in their baptism. May you bless our children, and may we live with the assurance of your promises given to us as an act of your grace alone. So bless us, Lord, as your people, that we might glorify and honor Christ your Son. We pray in his name. Amen.